How can we, with a simple leadership platform, be able to change a corporate culture to improve performance? Mac McNeil explains how we achieve this through our podcast. Let's listen to him. He also has a book, The Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership, How He Managed to Make a Performing Culture. Welcome to the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Katrina Birus, and today we have Mac McNeil. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Really excited about being here. Yes. So you're a leadership, you've created a leadership platform called Aetna. So please define it and what brought you to develop this platform and then identify it, if you would. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for asking. So my great on Edna is an acronym and Edna stands for excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. And how it came to be, I was a, an executive for Bank of America in California. And someone asked me back then, they were like, have you been so successful in leadership and finance? And I really hadn't thought about that. And I said, uh, you know, excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. And someone said, hey, that spells Edna. And I was like, oh, really? I really do have a great aunt, Edna. And it became a thing. My team that I led there, you know, became a personification in a culture and how we led and we were very successful with it. And so through time, it just progressed to the point of becoming this leadership platform. So tell us a little bit more in detail what each letter stands for. You told us, but how does mm -hmm. that translate when you implement it? Yes, great question. So excellence, I mean, I talk about this in my writings, but excellence is a spirit the way that we perceive it. And excellence is in the how, not the what. Some people speak of excellence and they're really talking about perfection, you know, the end result of something that's created. And it's really the how you approach your work. It was something that I learned very early on in my career in the U.S. Army that I've taken with me and that it's not about what you're doing because you can do things correctly and you can follow a plan to do it right. But if you're not doing it with the spirit of excellence, you're not doing things the right way, which takes me to the next point and how you do things the right way. And so if something has been prescribed, you know, and agreed upon, you know, this is the way that we do it, approaching it with the spirit of excellence and then following that what is a good combination, you know, to help create that culture that you're trying to get to. And then the the N again stands for no shortcuts. It sounds self-explanatory, but many people, including leaders, We'll try to take a shortcut to arrive at a certain destination, whether that's a, you know, a quantitative result we're trying to reach or a culture we're trying to create. But within the Aunt Edna leadership culture, it's, you know, don't take shortcuts. Take that long way around that long view because you have lessons learned within that <coughs> that will help you and your team by taking those that long route. And then the last piece there is accountability and it's shared accountability. So it's not just accountability from the leadership to the team, but also from the team holding that leader accountable to living the spirit of excellence and achieving those things. Wonderful. And so you put it together in this Aetna. So yes. the spirit of excellence, it's true that it could be perceived in different ways. Excellence mm -hmm. meaning doing it perfectly. Right. Okay, so it's doing it in the right way. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so again, and not thinking that it's perfection and 
I'm going to take accountability and kind of put this in this conversation as well. But, you know, as a leader, you're sitting down with someone that works for you, you know, for the first time and you're talking through expectations and you're telling them, hey, this is our goal. This is what we want to hit. I've seen it before where someone doesn't hit that that particular goal and they feel defeated. They feel deflated. Like, you know, I haven't lived up to my level of expectation that you set for me. When in time, what we're talking about and the accountability that I hold them to is how you approach that work. Because if you approach that work with the spirit of excellence and we didn't hit that goal or whatever that perfection mark was, that means that we need to reevaluate our goals, not necessarily how you did it, because you approached it with a spirit of excellence. And so that's what's important within this culture and leadership is setting the tone for the how. And so every day that an employee shows up to work or a teammate shows up to work, you know, they're striving for that excellence and not necessarily perfection and understanding that mistakes are allowed. It's part of the process. Like you don't have to be perfect to create a great team culture and achieve goals. Now you've written a book about leadership. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so the book is called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership. And again, it's taking this personification of both what my team created in Bank of America and my real life great aunt Edna, which she was a twin of my grandmother. She's deceased now. But the book, you know, it breaks down all of these things, excellence, doing things the right way, no shortcuts and accountability. And then it also has subchapters within it that speaks to specific stories that maybe I experienced or other leaders. I interviewed several leaders from all around the world in different capacities to add context to these principles. You know, they would tell stories in their way or, you know, this is how we achieved it, but it's all aligned within, you know, the great Aunt Edna leadership culture. And so that's what the book does. And the desired goal is really to get people to think, whether you're a new leader, whether you're a leader that's been a leader for a long time, but, you know, to stop and think about your impact as a leader and then the culture that you created as a leader and maybe see if there are things that can be shifted to achieve different results. You know, that's the intent of the book. I see. And how have you been able to, with this model, shift the culture? Great question. So I'll use an example of Bank of America, which I think I talk about in my book as well. But I led a region there in Southern California, and I had 60 financial centers that were under me at the time and 72 managers. And previously, there were different results. You know, it wasn't truly successful, but it wasn't a poor run region either. But coming into that group and creating that great on Aetna culture that began to take root, we were able to take those 60 financial centers and become the second ranked market in the entire country out of 375 markets within Bank of America. And, uh, you know, I received an award for, you know, top 1%, top performing manager and several of my managers as well. It wasn't really about the result. You know, I'm talking results right now, but it was about how we did it. And how we did it was down to the nth degree of paying attention to that spirit of excellence. And one story that I tell in the book is that I was corrected by a teller one day. I went to one of the, the financial centers and it was an opening procedure that I thought I was helping. That's what I was trying to do anyway. And I was helping with this procedure and I was following it as prescribed. Right. But it wasn't with the spirit of excellence. And the teller came over and she corrected me, which I thought was hilarious. You know, I'm like four levels higher than her in hierarchy, but she corrected me and talked about that spirit of excellence and how they do things at that center. And that's when I knew that it was starting to take root. I ended up promoting her later because one, she was bold to do that. But two, she was the first example of that the culture was taking root and that it was starting to make a difference. The team, 
begin to actually, I wouldn't say like each other because, you know, that's not a prerequisite for work, but work together congruently as a larger unit of 60 financial centers to achieve one goal with on Aetna. And they all had fun with on Aetna. And, you know, I'd go into different financial centers and they'd all have different posters of on Aetna up in their break room and the, the acronym and fun stuff. But it truly did change the culture and the results in that instance. That's wonderful. It's really yeah. because it's simple enough but it englobes a lot of different behaviors. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You also mentioned something about leadership wilderness. Would you mm-hmm. comment on that, please? Yes, yes. I'm glad you pointed that out. So leadership wilderness, and I think of anyone who's listening has ever been in leadership, they've experienced this before. And it's that, that feeling of that moment when you walk into your organization and you really don't know why you're there anymore. Like, you know, you feel like you don't have value. You really don't care if the team is successful or not. You don't care if you're successful or not. You know, it's that wilderness moment where you just feel alone. And leadership is lonely. Unfortunately, it is. But a lot of people don't understand it. But you get to that point in leadership where you just feel like, you know, you're by yourself. And again, kind of like that wilderness metaphor. You're just all alone. And it sounds bad, but I think it's what you do in those moments that makes the difference because it gives time for reflection, because again, you're alone, right? In your mind, anyway, you're alone. But take the time to reflect on, you know, what brought you there and to rethink ways of doing things within your organization, within your own self, you know, your own leadership style, and then, you know, come out of the wilderness and back into society with a new plan. And so in my own career, I know I've experienced that at least three or four times. It doesn't matter if I'm, quote, successful on paper or not. That moment inevitably happens where, again, I'm like staring out of the window. I'm like, why am I even here? You know, am I important? Does it matter? Am I replaceable? Those kind of thoughts. But when I reflect on what I did in those moments, it's actually what projected me to the next level of leadership. Mm. And what brought on those moments? It could be different things. You're right. But for me personally, I can think of one in particular, and it was a desire to be promoted. I mean, that happens to several leaders where you feel like, you know, you're deserving, right? Like I'm deserving, you know, why haven't I gotten this opportunity? You know, I've done everything right. Those moments, my team is successful. I'm not getting noticed. Why is this happening? And then you start to make excuses as to why this is happening, right? And that happened to me before. And I remember specifically looking out of the window in Charlotte, North Carolina with my arms crossed over my chest, like this sucks. Like it's not that I'm not good at my job, but it just doesn't feel like I'm adding value to the point where people are noticing and it's impactful. So that's what brought it on for me. But, uh, and you know, it's different for everyone. I've had conversations with close friends, you know, family, my sister, they've all told me stories of, you know, when they reach that moment and what they're thinking about doing. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you rethought the process you're going to mm-hmm. implement and how you're going to be different as a leadership. So it was a, a precursor to a shift in mindset, is it exactly. not? Exactly. Yeah. Paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start this Aetna leadership platform? What brought that on? Yeah. So unofficially, 2014 is when it happened at Bank of America, when my team started to you know personify it. But I'd say officially, you know, it followed me from Bank of America to Synchrony when I was there and then Synchrony now the Community Reinvestment Fund. And people have been asking me for a while, like, hey, you need to write a book on this and you need to do something. You know, I ignored it. 
But someone challenged me to start the newsletter when I started the newsletter and it just took off. I mean, it really resonated with people. And I was so surprised by the number of people and where they were that the messages actually resonated with them. And I was receiving notices from India and from UAE and Australia. And I'm like, really? This stuff actually matters to you guys? And they're like, we're experiencing the same issues. And so what you're saying is a breath of fresh air. Like someone actually told me that. And so I actively at that point said, okay, this is something that has value definitely beyond me and the teams that I lead. And so, you know, I pursued it and it's definitely starting to take off. Oh, wonderful. You also mentioned in your book, Broken Mirrors. Can you comment Mm -hmm. on that? Yeah, that's one of my favorite subchapters in there. And so I actually have a broken mirror that I've had with me since 1988. And, you know, back then I had the high top fade, you know, I looked like kid and play with the park. It was very nice. Then I used to cut my own hair and I needed a mirror, another mirror to look at the back of my head while I was cutting my hair. And one of the female soldiers said, hey, I have this mirror you can use, but it's broken. You can have it. And I said, okay. And so I took it and I still have that mirror. And it's like 34, 35 years later. But what it does for me, the metaphorical concept behind why it's in the book is that it's cracked. And so it never shows me a perfect version of myself. And so it's always a reminder for me that people don't look at me, you know, and see perfection, right? There's always some kind of crack that they see. And then another piece of the book is sometimes I turn that mirror and the cracks move, right? And so what that tells me is that different people see different things and different versions of my leadership styles. You know, there are certain parts of the face that they see that others don't. And so, you know, I can hear something from one person to say, oh, you're a great leader. Or I hear another version of someone that says, you're a great leader, but, you know, you don't really connect with your peers. And I hear another one that says, you're the best leader I ever had in my life. And oh, my God, you know, why weren't you with me five years ago? And that's the broken mirror. It's like everyone sees a different piece of me that creates the full picture of me and it's never perfection. And so it also keeps me humble to realize that, you know, I might think I'm doing a great job, but there's another piece of my face that someone else sees and it's a valid picture. Oh, very good. So it's a good reminder that, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And so you get the perceptions of other people, which gives you another perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh Have you ever been coached? (laughs) Yeah, quite a bit, officially and unofficially. But I have mentors. One of mine is Dr. Claude T. Williams. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. You know, Ivy League graduate, HBCU graduate. He's an educator. He's a pastor. But regularly, you know, he gives me friendship and coaching advice. You know, I've had coaching from several of the leaders that I've had in in the finance industry. One in which in particular that I recall is her name is Barb Tripp. And she's retired now, but she's probably one of the best coaches that I've had in teaching me executive presence. You know, when I was with her, I was a branch manager and I wanted to progress up, you know, to higher levels, but she was the one that helped coach me on, you know, exactly what executive presence is, you know, how to think, how to tell us a little bit more specifically, what did she say about executive presence? How did you integrate it? And Mm -hmm. uh, what was the outcome? Yeah. So one of the first things I learned from her is different versions of you, kind of similar to the broken mirror, But once I got to a certain level and I was able to observe her, it was always Barb, but Barb had different personas depending upon who she was interacting with. 
I've seen her on stage in front of thousands. You know, she had thousands of employees and I saw that Barb and that leadership presence. And then I saw Barb when she was, you know, out to dinner socially with her team. And I saw Barb when she had one on one conversations or very private conversations around strategy. But it's understanding like the varying changes that need to happen to create that full executive presence. Some people have one person and that's the only persona that they have. And it's good in one instance, but it might not be good in another. And so that was some of the coaching that I observed and learned in watching her is that, you know, there is truly one barb, but there's different barbs in multiple situations that maximize each opportunity. Mm, Good. So it's helped you as a leader, for sure. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Uh And now you're mentoring others. It sounds... I am. So what do you think it takes to be a very good mentor? The first thing is non-judgment, because if a mentor is starting out judging, I I think that's automatically creating barriers. So not judging, but listening, you know, everyone talks about that, but that listening piece and then understanding the person, not only the job that they are doing, but the individual person, like you have to get to know that person intimately you know, what actually makes them mad, what makes them happy, what struggles they're having outside of their work performance. Like you have to know that person to truly be a mentor because you can give some advice. And if you don't know what's really going on in their lives, that advice is only going to go so far. So you have to get to know intimately the people that you're mentoring. Yes. And, you know, coaching is also the way you ask questions, Mm -hmm. the way you open up, the way you help other people think. And have you ever had a coach help you be a a better leader or you learned from being coached? Yes, I had a leader. And at first I thought it was irritating. And it was because they kept asking questions. You know, they'd ask a question, then they'd ask a follow-up question, then they'd ask a follow-up question, then another follow-up question. And at first to me on the receiving end, I was thinking, okay, this is a little bit irritating, right? (laughs) But later I (laughs) I understood, you know, what was happening and it was pulling back the layers. It's exactly what I'm talking about, like getting to the real issues. And so, you know, what you said, you know, asking questions and how you ask questions, whether they're closed in or open-ended questions, and there are times for both, you know, sometimes you just need a a yes or no, and then other times you need more elaboration. And if they didn't give you that elaboration, ask a follow-up question so that they elaborate more. So, yeah, I've had leaders that have done that to me before, and it had also helped me learn, you know, when I'm coaching leaders now, how to do that and how to pull back those layers. Because sometimes in mentorship, people will give you surface surface stuff. They're saying like, this is my challenge. And then after several questions and answers, you realize that's not really your challenge. You know, your real challenge is this. And let's start there. Yeah, very, very right. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our podcast. I would like to know Mm -hmm. where we could purchase your book and how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, thanks, Katrina. So again, the book is called My Great Aunt Edna, The Golden Girl of Leadership. It can be purchased just about wherever books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Apple Books, Goodreads, so on and so forth. It's in hardcover, paperback, ebook, and audio book. So you can get all, all of the formats there. I also have that newsletter that's on LinkedIn that I talked about where you can find out what's going on. There's a YouTube channel as well called My Great Aunt Edna, where I interview leaders from all over the world and use some of that content for the written versions. But yeah, we're definitely out there. So Mac McNeil, that's your profile on LinkedIn, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. That is it. Mac McNeil. And what about YouTube? On YouTube, it's my great aunt Edna. 
Uh, my great aunt. Yeah, Edna. Facebook, yeah. my great aunt Edna, and uh, everywhere else is my great aunt Edna. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so very much, Mac. It was Thank you, Katrina. I appreciate you having me. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Excellent Executive Coaching Podcast. You can subscribe to all future podcasts at excellentexecutivecoaching.com. Join us each Wednesday to learn more about the latest trends in leadership techniques and bring your coaching to the next level. To learn more about Dr. Burris's CEO Mastermind, use the contact form at excellentexecutivecoaching.com.